let's get back into Genesis. Um, we've been talking about Joseph's story, and last week we talked about the parable of the unforgiving servant because that ties right into Joseph's story. And now we're going to be back in Genesis. Um, <clears throat> I did not realize until later years, until in, in recent years, that these few chapters that we're going to look at today in Genesis are really as much about Judah as they are Joseph. Judah has a huge story. And so if you want to listen to the in-depth teaching that I did about Judah, I did it in two parts. You can go to the YouTube channel at our church, and it was in July of 2022. I did a two-part teaching on the transformation of Judah's heart because he experienced such a transformation. And I don't, I don't want to skip over that this time. I want to go back to that because it's still really speaking to me what God did in Judah's heart. But uh, he also, of course, most people who know the story of Joseph know the transformation that took place in Joseph's heart, right? And, and we can just, you can see that in two verses just really quickly. When you compare Genesis 40, verse 15, in Genesis 40, 15, you see um, Joseph in, in prison, and this is where he was at this point in his faith. Right In Genesis 14, he's, he's complaining about his situation to the butler who he's hoping is going to put, put in a good word for him and get him out of jail, right? And he, said, he tells the story uh, in Genesis 40, verse. we'll start with verse 14. Joseph says, but remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. That's where he is. That's where he is in his journey. Get me out of here. Just get me out of here. This place where I have this situation, get me out of here. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, for indeed, I was stolen. Did you hear this? I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. I've been ripped out of my family. This was, get me out of here. This thing happened to me. That's where he is at this point in his journey, right? Get me out of here. Get me out of this situation that happened to me. I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. And he was right. He suffered a huge injustice. He had done nothing wrong, and this thing happened to him. Tragedy. But you realize what a transformation took place in his heart, and you realize God's work was complete in Joseph when you flip over to chapter 45 at the end, and we'll look more into this today. We'll zoom in on it. But 40, in chapter 45, his brothers all come back. They realize who he is. They're bowing down before him in fulfillment of that dream he had way back then. And this is what he says to him and, and to his brothers. He, uh, let's go... Let's go to verse 7, uh, Genesis 45, verse 7. Joseph, now the same man, the same man who had said, get me out of here, I was stolen, and I did nothing to deserve this. That's his narrative. The same man is now saying in verse 5, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. So he's acknowledging what happened, Right? He's just acknowledging what happened. For God sent me for you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8 says, so now it was not you who sent me. Remember, I was stolen. Now it was not you who sent me, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So we see that Joseph, because he stuck with it, he refused to lose faith. He refused to become disillusioned because he did not understand God's dealings. He kept his hope in God no matter what. 
God elevates him just like that overnight to become the governor, the governor of Egypt. And God uses him to save two nations, really, Egypt and, and Israel, his people, during this great famine. So that's the story of Joseph. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with that story, read these chapters, 37 through uh, 45 um, in Genesis to read the story of Joseph. But I really want to talk about Judah today because this is as much about Judah as, as it is about Joseph. Remember, Jesus is spoken of in Revelation as the lion of the tribe of who? It's not the lion of the tribe of Joseph. Joseph was a great, he did nothing wrong. Judah was the screw-up. He royally, royally messed up his life. And Jesus comes from Judah. Let's find out why. So if you go to Genesis chapter 37, uh, the first time, now this is just a review for some of you, for some it will be new. The first time we're really introduced to, to Judah is, remember, okay, if, for background in case you don't know, Jacob has 12 sons. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, he, he, his favorite sons are Benjamin and Joseph because they came from his favorite wife, Rachel. And he favors these sons. The brothers, all the rest of the brothers hate Joseph because they envy him. They're jealous of him because he's his favorite son. It says very clearly, Jacob loved Joseph more than all the other, more than his sons. And so they, they come up with this grand scheme to get rid of Joseph. And the first time we're introduced to Judah is in Genesis 31, verse 27. He has this idea. Uh, let's go back. So they're, so they're planning on killing Joseph, just doing away with him. In Judah, in verse uh, 26 of Genesis 37, Judah says to his brothers, Hey, look, guys. What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Those were foreigners, slave traders. They were, gonna, they were coming through. He says, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listen. So Judah thinks he's doing a really good thing by sparing his brother Joseph's life. And instead of killing him, selling him off into slavery. So they throw Ju Joseph into this pit, and, and they're waiting. And, and it's while they're waiting, while Joseph is in this pit, that the Ishmaelites come along, and, they, and Judah has this idea, let's sell him as a slave. Let not our hand be upon him. See, there's a lesson for us right here. And the way I, today I want to talk about the way we love each other. The way we love our brothers and our sisters, especially in the body of Christ, because it's so easy to think, well, I cannot stand this person, but I never hurt him. But I'm just going to back off and leave him in this pit. Judah thought he was being a good guy. Let's not kill him. Let's just leave him in this pit and then just get rid of him. You know, and so they, they make up this huge lie so they sell him for 20 shekels of silver. They sell him as a slave. He gets carted off to Egypt. They make up this huge lie. They go home and tell, they tell their dad, something's happened to Joseph. He must have been attacked by a wild animal. And they had dipped his coat, the fancy coat that his dad made for him, they had dipped it into goat's blood and made up this elaborate lie, pretending that uh, Joseph was dead. And that's how much they cared about their father. That's how much they cared about their father, that they would go home and tell him that his favorite kid has been brutally mauled by, and killed by this animal. Well, they don't care. They don't really love Joseph, and they don't really love their dad that much to come up with that. So that's the first time we meet Judah. We see what kind of character he is, that he's willing to sell his brother into slavery, and he, and he thinks that's, you know, a better thing treatment than just killing him. And then the next time we see Judah, there is this chapter that's just inserted into the middle of the story of Joseph. And it's all about Judah. 
It's not about Joseph at all. Basically, what happens, just very quickly for the sake of time, Judah, he has two sons. They die. It's a long story. Read the chapter, Genesis 38. But his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is left a widow, okay? And she is upset with her father-in-law, Judah. You can read and find out why, okay? Judah broke, he broke a law. He broke really God's law. He broke a law. He did her wrong. You'll have to read it. And she's upset. So the point is she poses as a prostitute. She sits by the way where she knows he's going to be walking by, and he doesn't realize it's his own daughter-in-law. This guy's a... Mm, 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 there are things I could say. <laughs> he sees his daughter-in-law sitting there, and he thinks she's a prostitute, and he goes into her. He hires her, uses her. He flat-out uses his daughter and his own daughter-in-law, and he doesn't, she's so well disguised, he doesn't realize who he is, who she is. Well, then the whole entire story comes out. What happens? She's very smart. She takes his signet ring and his staff as a collateral. It's like, it's like taking his wallet. She sneaks his wallet. And then the day comes and she's like, um, whosoever this belongs to, that's the man with whom I'm with child. She ends up pregnant, right? They're ready to stone her. Actually, Judah himself calls for her to be burned at the stake, as it were, stoned to death. And just before she's ready to be stoned to death, she says, um, by the way, whosoever this wallet belongs to, that's the, that's the father of my child. And it's her father-in-law. Here's the thing. He could have gotten away with it. Nobody would have believed her if he had said, what are you, crazy woman? You're lying. I mean, they, that, that was the status of women. It's, I don't know this for sure, but it's possible that he could have completely gotten away with it because of just the way women were treated and their, the way their word was believed this time and culture. But what does Judah say? We start to see, and in, I titled this sermon before, uh, The Transformation of Judah's Heart. We start to see this very narcissistic monster actually change because he says in Genesis 38, uh, she, she says in, in Genesis 38 uh, verse 25, it says when she was brought out, right, she, Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. He doesn't know he's talking about his daughter-in-law, right? Verse 25 says when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Judah could have completely denied it, could have kept playing the narcissist, could have completely denied it, possibly gotten away with it. Instead, he says this in verse 26, Judah acknowledged them, those things, and he said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son. He had broken the law called the Leveret marriage, where he was supposed to give her to his other son to, to carry on the family name, and he had broken that law. And it says he never knew her again, meaning he never touched her again in an inappropriate way. When he says this, she has been more righteous than I, and he publicly acknowledges his wrong that he had done to his daughter-in-law. That was radical. You have to understand, that was so radical, especially in this time and culture. It was radical. He had undergone such a transformation to fully own his stuff and own it outright and out loud and publicly. You see that God is doing a work of transformation in Judah's heart, and you start to see why he becomes the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus, because God is not interested in perfection. We can't be. What he is interested in is, will you give me your heart and let me change it? Will you let me transform your heart? That's what God's interested in. And nobody is beyond his grace. Nobody is beyond transformation. And so that's the next time we see 
something radical happening in Judah's life. And then when we go to chapter 42, uh, let's see. Let's pick up the story now. Let's, let's get back to the story of Joseph. Um, what we talked about last time is how he, he came out of prison and he was elevated to become the governor. He was put in charge of storing away all the grain in Egypt so there would be enough uh, for this famine. And it says in, in uh, Genesis 42, verse 6, his brothers, they're, they're starving now. They're back in Israel, in the land of Canaan, and they're starving. So they say, hey, we, we hear there's grain in Egypt. Let's go there and buy some grain. And they have no idea that the brother that they had sold as a slave is now the governor of Egypt, right? Such a dramatic Story. So they, they get there, and in verse 6 of chapter 22, it says, uh, Governor Joseph was governor over all the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. No idea this is the brother that they had sold into slavery at age 17. He's 30 now. He looks very Egyptian. They don't know who he is. And this is a fulfillment of the dream he had had as a, a teenager with his family and his brothers all bowing down to him. So for the sake of time, I, read it. Read these chapters this week. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just tell you what happens is Joseph, he sees his brothers. He remembers what they did to him. They sold him into slavery. He wants to find out how much they've changed. He wants to find, have you ever not seen someone for a very long time, and then you're going to see them and you're wondering, have they changed? And sometimes you're like, within five minutes, nope. Same old thing coming out of their mouth, <laughs> nope. Time has not changed them one bit. And he's wondering, have these idiots changed? I mean, he probably wasn't thinking that. He just wants to know how they changed. They'd sold him into slavery. They don't know who he is standing there. They just think he's the governor of Egypt. And they're bowing down to him, begging for bread. Wow. So he comes up with this elaborate plan. And his whole plan is to trick them. But his purpose is to find out how much they've changed. And what he really wants to know is, okay, are you going to do the same thing to little brother Benjamin that you did to me? Because his baby brother Benjamin, young Benjamin, is the other favorite child. And he creates this opportunity for them to just leave Benjamin as a slave in Egypt. He, cre he creates, it's, it was very just amazing what he came up with. He creates this opportunity for them to do the same exact thing to Benjamin, the other favorite brother, as they had done to him. And he wants to find out if they've changed. So first he says, you're spies. You're all spies. And he throws them all into prison for three days, and he thinks on it. And he says, you know what? Just one of you stay here, and I want the rest of you to go home and get this brother Benjamin that you're telling me about. Benjamin had stayed back with the dad, Jacob, because Jacob's not about to let his other favorite son die or something happen to him, right? So Joseph says, go bring back Benjamin. If you bring him back, then I'll know you're telling me the truth. Prove to me that you have this brother, Benjamin. Go get him and bring him back. So they're on their way back, and on the way back, they discover all their money has been returned to them in their sack. Now they're freaking out because now it does, looks like they're not only spies, but they're thieves. So they go back. They don't know what to do. They're beside themselves. He puts it in Benjamin's sack. He sets it up. He sets it up to look like Benjamin has stolen his cup. And so this is where I want to get to. So they realize this on the way. Not only has all their money been returned, but it's worse. Now Benjamin, the favorite child, the one that they had promised to bring back to Jacob, he's got Joseph's silver cup in his sack, okay? This is where I want to get to. Uh, chapter 43, verse... Chapter 43, this now is where we see the transformation of Judah. Remember, this is as much about Judah as it is about Joseph, I believe, because Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. 
And this shows the work that God has done in his heart. And this is a message for us today concerning how we love. So Genesis 43 says the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt. And their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man that is Joseph solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send your brother with us, we will go and buy food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. So Ju Judah is telling his dad, Jacob, look, we, we don't dare show our face in Egypt again before this governor. He told us not to, not to let him see our face unless Benjamin is with us. And so Israel, in verse 6, that's Jacob, says, Why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? They said, How are we to know? He was, how, would, how could we possibly know that he would order us to bring our brother back? And so this is the key right here, verse 8 of chapter 43. Judah said to his father, Israel, remember Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, meaning prince, one who has prevailed God. Judah says to his father, now, Look, I want you to really think about this. This is Judah, the one who had the idea, sell Joseph into slavery. This is that Judah, that Judah. So now, now it's about the other favored son, Benjamin. And he says to his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you also and our little ones. And verse 9 is key, pivotal verse. I myself will be surety for him. This word surety literally means pledge. When he says, I will be surety for him, what he's saying is, I pledge my life for this little brother. Remember the same man who had sold the other favorite brother, into slavery. Now he's offering his very life as pledge for Benjamin. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So his father says, okay, if it must be so, go ahead and take him and take these gifts. He sends some gifts to bring to Joseph, and he says, may God Almighty, verse 14, give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. He doesn't even name Simeon. Simeon's held as collateral back in jail in Egypt. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. That's when they go back. That's where I was confused. They go back. Joseph sees Benjamin He's overcome with emotion. There are several times where he has to go away and, and he weeps because he's so overcome with love for these brothers who had sold him into slavery. He, he puts on this huge feast for them. He washes their feet. He arranges them around the table in order of their age. They don't understand how did he know this? How does he know the order of our age? It's really such a dramatic story. Um, <clears throat> And so, verse, uh, chapter 44 of verse 17. Chapter 44, verse 17. This is before Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Judah is owning, once again, the sin of himself and his brothers. In verse 16, Genesis 44, 16, he says, what shall we say to my Lord? Uh, what shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? This is where the cup has been found in Judah's bag, okay? Because in verse 15, jo Ju thank you, Benjamin's bag, thank you. In verse 15, Joseph is accusing them still of being spies. And now he's accusing Benjamin of stealing his silver cup. So he says, did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? In other words, don't you know I can, I can figure this out? Do you think you would get away with this? And Judah, he owns it. He, there's no defense. 
He owns it. He's, remember, he's been so transformed, and we're about to see this. He says, what, what can we say? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of our servants. In other words, we've had this coming to us for a long time, right? Because of what we did. Uh, here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But, he, but Joseph said, and here's the test. This verse right here, verse 17, this is where Joseph wants to know, are, are you, have you changed or are you going to do the same exact thing to Benjamin? Has this pattern in your life been broken or are you still the same person willing to just throw away your own flesh and blood? That's what he's wanting to find out. So in verse 17, Joseph says, Far be it from me that I should do so, that I should keep you all as slaves. The man in, whom hand the, in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. He's talking about Benjamin. And as for you, and he says these words, go up in peace to your father. You know why he's saying that? Because he remembered how easily, way back then, they were able to just go up in peace to their father as if they had done nothing wrong and everything was going to be fine when they had just sold their brother into slavery. And he says that to them. And I can't, I just, the scene, can you imagine the scene and the emotion in the room and the fear and the trembling? And I wonder what went through their minds when he said, go up in peace to your father. All you got to do is leave your little brother Benjamin as a slave, leave him here, let him become a slave in Egypt, and you can go up in peace to your father. Just like you did before, right? That's what he's thinking. And then this is where we see the tenderizing of Judah's heart, the transformation and the tenderizing. Because in verse 18, it says, Then Judah came near to him. Judah approached the governor of Egypt. And he says, Oh, my Lord, let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. And then he tells the whole story of what happened. He tells him about his, his father, the old man back home in Canaan, and the child of his old age who is young. He says his brother is dead, and he doesn't realize that that's the brother he's talking to, right? Are you with me? Okay. He tells him this story. The brother is dead, and Benjamin is alone is left of his mother's children, and catch this, because this is a message for you and for me today. His father loves him. Look, the reason he was willing to sell Joseph into slavery was because his father loved him a lot, like more than him and more than the other brothers. And now he's using that same exact reasoning to intercede for Benjamin. His father loves him, and he means it. And he goes on to say this. He repeats, the, he reminds Joseph, the governor, who he doesn't know is his brother Joseph, he reminds him of all that has transpired. You said this, and you told us to do this, and, and we told you this, and this is the problem, and this is why we could not bring Benjamin back to you, our father you know, he, he would, he, he, but we still, we needed food, so we were here. He, he rehashes the whole story. And he tells him what had happened to Joseph uh, and how they had made up this huge lie. And, to, and um, your, your, your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, verse 28, and said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. And then Judah says this to Joseph. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, if we go back home, Mr. Governor, and our little brother Benjamin is not with us, catch this, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, Dad's life, our father's life, is bound up in the lad's life, in Benjamin's life. It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. 
So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. Verse 32, for your servant, that's me, Judah's talking about himself, became surety. I pledged my life for this brother of mine, this little brother Benjamin. I made a pledge to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. Do you understand what's happening? The same man who was willing to sell Joseph, his brother, as a slave is now offering himself to become a slave forever in the land of Egypt to set free the other favored brother, Benjamin, and his whole entire motivation his whole drive, his whole purpose, his whole basis for, listen, his whole basis for interceding on behalf of that little brother because his dad's life is, his dad's heart is bound up in this life. His father loves him. His father loves him. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain as a slave, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how, listen to this, how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. And it is at this point when Joseph sees that transformation, that dramatic transformation in Judah. When he sees that he has so changed that he's willing to give up his whole entire life to become a slave so that his little brother Benjamin could go free. That's when he loses it. He can't contain himself any longer, and he sends all the Egyptians out of the room, and he breaks down, and he weeps, and, and he, they fall on each other, and they kiss and hug, and, and they weep on each other, and he reveals himself to his brothers. But there's a lesson here. For you and me, and it's twofold. Number one, our love for each other in the body of Christ, our love for our brothers and sisters, and our love for our loved ones, and our love for the people that God has placed in our life. Yes, including the Benjamins and the Josephs. Yes, including those ones that are hard to love for whatever reason. God wants to put a love in your heart and in my heart that is based on the Father's... What does it say? It says, uh, it says his, his... Where does it say his, 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 um, his life is bound up in the lad's life, verse 30. I want to know in my heart of hearts every single day with every single person God has placed in my life for me to love. I want to catch this in my heart as a revelation. God, especially those people God puts in our lives that are difficult to love. God's heart, God, what does it say, verse 30? God's life is bound up in their life. God loves them. The Father loves them. Judah interceded for Benjamin like this. Look, it's absolutely going to kill his dad if I don't bring him back home. And I don't want to do that to dad because his life is bound up in that little boy's life. So I'm giving myself as a slave for the rest of my life in Egypt so that he can go free, so that he can go back to the father. I was awake late last night, lying before the Lord on the floor just, Reflecting on relationships that are so difficult that it is sometimes so easy to be tempted to think, I'm just going to leave this one alone. <laughs> I'll leave it in the pit. Not her. Oh, oh, we'd never hurt the person. Never hurt the person. But there's a love that God wants you and I to have. That is so greater than human love. It's a love that understands the way he loves that person. And when you understand the way the father loves that brother of yours, 
that sister of yours, that wife of yours, that husband of yours, that mother of yours, that father of yours, that brother of yours, that child of yours, when you understand that God's life is bound up in that person's life, it changes everything and it causes you to intercede for them. And it can and should and will, if you let it, bring you to the point of willing to say, God, I will give my life in service as a servant for this person for the rest of my life. Because I know how much your life is bound up in this person's life. You died for them. You died for them. So I'm going to drop my defenses, drop my schemes, my plans, my concoctions, my cunning. I'm going to leave that all behind, and I'm now going to offer myself, Father, as a servant. Because you love because of your love. We have to catch the way God loves the difficult person to love. When you understand that, it changes everything. Because Jesus, and this is the second point, Jesus, this is the second layer of revelation of truth. Jesus became surety for us, it says, it says in Hebrews 7.22. It says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Literally means in the Greek, bailout, a bail, a, a reparation. Je Jesus, he bailed us out of slavery. He became the, he pledged his life for you and I. We were that Benjamin that Satan wanted to keep enslaved in Egypt for the rest of our lives. Jesus is the better Judah the sure and better Judah who steps forward and draws near and says, let me become a slave forever. Let them go free. Why? Because my father's life is bound up in their life. It would absolutely break the father's heart. I have to go up to my father and bring this person back with me. Jesus would not, was not, will not stand before the Father, and he did not, he could not, <clears throat> empty-handed as it were. He stepped forward and he offered his life not just as a slave forever, but he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice so that you could go free. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This story, when you really think about it, it's so radical and shocking that this Judah would <clears throat> offer himself. He literally offered, he was willing to become a slave for the rest of his life in order to let his brother go free. But you see this other times in Scripture. You see it with, with Moses in Exodus when God is ready to wipe out the children of Israel because they've disobeyed him and they've built this golden calf. And Moses says, blot my name out of the book of life before you take me. It's the same thing. It's this heart of an intercessor that understands. Look, you love them. I know who you are. That is not who you are. Your goodness and your compassion and your loving kindness, you've revealed yourself to me. Take me instead. You see it with Paul in Romans 9 when he says, I could even wish that I would become a curse for my brethren, my countrymen, Israel, my fellow Jews. He, he's, he's saying, man, if it were possible that I, could, I would just be willing to just give my life for them so that they would be saved. It's a, a radical love that is based in the Father's love for others. Hebrews tells us about the priesthood of Jesus. The book of Hebrews is a message. It was a message to the ancient Jews who were familiar and, and involved in the priesthood, the priests who would come into the temple and offer sacrifices on their behalf. And the book of Hebrews is basically saying, hey, Jesus is our great high priest. Because of him, we don't need a human priest any longer. Verse 26 of Hebrews 7 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, 
who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. <clears throat> Hebrews 2.10, just a few more scriptures. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, that is Jesus, for whom are all things, or that's God, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect, Jesus, through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies, that word sanctifies means he's setting us apart for a holy and divine calling and purpose. He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, it also means being made holy, being transformed, are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Can you imagine Benjamin standing there realizing he's about to be taken as a slave for the rest of his life in Egypt? Never see his father again? Never see his brothers again? And then Judah steps forward and says, take me instead. That's what Jesus did for us. It says he came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus is our advocate, it says in 1 John 2, chapter, 1 John 2 1. Jesus is an, he's, he's called the advocate that we have with the Father. I want to read um, Hebrews 4, starting with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's another scripture in Hebrews. Scripture I'm closing with. I didn't write down the chapter, but the verse is 19. <laughs> uh, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Um, I really wanted to read that. Therefore, brethren, having, it's, it's verse 19 of wherever I forgot to write down. Does anyone know where that is? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Well, let me know if you, I, thank you, honey. I'm closing with this verse, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, remember what did Judah do, says he drew near to Joseph in intercession for his brother Benjamin. We can now draw near. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we celebrate through water baptism. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I don't know how effectively I've communicated this truth about Judah today, but it really hit home to me. It has helped me as I've reflected on um, 
the relationships in my life. And maybe you've never had a relationship that required really pushing past your human nature and our bent toward impatience, toward exasperation, toward frustration, our bent toward neglect. It's so easy to understand in a way to a degree why sometimes it can be easy to just leave someone in a pit and walk away. But if God should, could transform Judah to that degree, he'd be willing to say, take me, I'll be a slave, and the reason is I know how much his father loves him. I want God to really help me understand in my heart the love that God has for placed in my life. Pray with me. I'd like to just take a minute, give you an opportunity to Stand before the Lord, and I believe he's asking this morning. Are you going to be a Judah? Because I've called you a kingdom of priests. It's a very high calling. Your calling, God says, your calling is to intercede for your brother or your sister. Your calling is to actually burn with such a passion for that person that you have found difficult to love. Your calling is actually to be a Judah on their behalf and stand before God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And say, I know how much your heart is wrapped up in the life of this person. I know how much you love them and I need that love. I need to have that. So, Father, we present ourselves before you this morning. We cannot do this on our own. But we look in your word and we see how radically transformed Judah's heart. We see how much you changed his heart and his mind, Lord. We see how you humbled him. We see how you took this man who sold his brother into slavery and you transformed him into someone who was willing to offer himself as a slave. And Father God, I don't know about anyone else here, but I'm standing here before you today. And I am willing to be made that servant. I am willing to give my life to serve those who you've placed in it. To not leave them in a pit. But to say, Father God, let them go free. I will be that intercessor. Yes, even for those who don't deserve it. I'll be the one. I'll be the Judah. I will stand before you and intercede for my brothers and my sisters. Father God, let us not be a people that are willing to walk away from each other and leave each other captives to the enslavement of sin. Give us the heart that you gave to Judah and the heart of Jesus. Who says, how can I go up to my father without my brethren? 
it pleased you in bringing many sons to glory, says in Hebrews. Help us to catch that, Father. Help us to love like that. there is anyone else who wants to pray out loud and just agree with this, pray your own prayer. If God is putting anything on your heart, either bellow it out from your seat or feel free to come up here and take the microphone. I just want to leave one more space of time for the Lord to speak. I want to speak for a minute to those who are Benjamin in this story. You know that the enemy of your soul, Satan, would love to take you captive and make you a slave of his forever. And Maybe you feel that. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you feel that oppression. Maybe you feel that enslavement to fear, to sin, to addiction, whatever it is. You know it would have been absurd for Benjamin when his brother Judah offered his life in his, on his behalf, it would have been absolutely absurd for Benjamin to have said, nah, I'm good. I'll stay. You go on. You go free. I'll stay here in Egypt as a slave. Would have been absurd. And yet people do it all the time. I don't care what Jesus offered me. I'm good. I'm good. Jesus says, if you will let me, I've come to give you life and to set you free. You do not have to be a slave to sin for the rest of your life. If you are Benjamin in this story, just agree with me this morning. Agree with this prayer. Just say it to yourself as I pray it. Father God, I see that Jesus was the one who stepped forward and offered his life in place of mine so that I can go free. He became surety for me, and I accept that. I receive that. I receive the salvation that Jesus gives me in offering his own life as an atoning sacrifice for my sin. And I will no longer be enslaved to sin from this day forward. I repent and I thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made for me. I take it personally today. I believe you are alive and you have come to give me life and to give it more abundantly. And I say thank you and I receive that life of freedom today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your patience this morning. <laughs>